G'day listeners, I'm Pete Mitchum and this is Beer is a Conversation. When news broke that CUB, that's Carlton and United Breweries, for those of us old enough to remember a time when every business was not acronymised, has been purchased by Asahi for $16 billion, the comments and questions came thick and fast. Some things were clear. If the sale went ahead, Asahi would become the world's third largest brewing company and CUB, once a proud Australian business born at the turn of the last century by the union of nine small Victorian breweries, would go from being the somewhat unloved child of Belgian and South African parents based in the Netherlands or London or was it Johannesburg? Anyway, uh, to becoming just another cog in a giant Japanese machine. What was not so clear was the fate of the various company layers within the CUB network that is so deep and complicated that even an MBA would have a hard time navigating the various levels. Entities such as ZX Ventures, SAB, CUB and Cascade Beverages sit alongside or beneath or on top of um, or within uh, a lot of other lesser-known tags such as something rather brewing holdings, brewing investments and something like six or seven other more corners throughout a corporate rabbit hole. Questions and opinions soon began circulating as to the future of CUB's craft brands like Four Pines and Pirate Life, as well as online services such as Boozebud and Rate Beer. Would they be included in the sale? Would they be sold off separately? Would they carry on as usual? Much conjecture and confusion ensured, and clarity was about as likely as a Carlton Draft Nipah. So I turned, as I often do at these times, to Mazen Hajar, co-founder of Hawker's Beer and a man who, among other things, founded the Middle East's first independent brewery and low-cost airline, and is both knowledgeable and very forthright uh, in all his opinions on all things business. I thought that he might be able to unravel some of the tangled threads of the CUB, SAB, Miller, AB, InBev corporate structure, as well as giving his opinions on what this sale might mean for the Australian beer landscape. Uh, secretly, I also hope to get his views on everything from tap contracts, anti-competitive behaviour, as well as the role of the IBA and the ACCC in all this. Let's just say you will not be disappointed. Enjoy the conversation. Mazen Hajar from Hawker's Beer, thank you for joining us on this very special edition of Beer as a Conversation. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, konnichiwa, which I believe is Australian for beer. <laughs> for 90% of Australian beer, sure. With the news, obviously, that Asahi has purchased CUB, uh, there's quite a bit of, I guess, consternation and misinformation, misconception and a lot of confusion about what it actually means. So you very kindly offered your time um, to me. When, I, when, when the news dropped, I said, okay, this just doesn't, what, what is going on here? What, is it, what does it mean? Uh, what's the business side of things? And then looking at particularly the Australian Brews News Facebook page, there's clearly a lot of misunderstanding about what CUB is, what the various, it, it's like uh, Shrek, it's like, you know, onions have layers. And this thing is just so many layers. So I figured the best person to speak to to unpeel the onion is Mazen Hajar. Mazen, talk us through the Asahi purchase of CUB. I think you're, you're absolutely right. Um, a lot of people are left wondering what, how this happened and a lot of people are surprised. And to be honest, whether Asahi purchased CUB or not isn't really the point. The point is AB InBev was basically out in the market from day one to get rid of CUB. Um, and that anyone who's been following really the apocalyptic uh, mergers and the, the arms race between Saab Miller and AB InBev 
um, would have seen this coming a mile away. Because if, if we go back a bit in time, um, when the Brazilians first bought Imbev out of, created Imbev, um, with the merger with Stella and Brahma and all these brands under one, one brand. And if, so, so what, put us in the picture. What time frame are we talking here? We're talking about the last 10, 15 years, I guess, um, when uh, private equity started buying up and creating this mega company called AB InBev. Prior to that, Budweiser was one of the biggest companies in the world. And there wasn't this cross-multinational behemoth companies. So at the end of apartheid, um, South African breweries got their act together and started basically an arms race with a, bu a bunch of Brazilian investors. And they went out on an acquisition trail to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And each one was kind of afraid of the other. Um, so the arms race kept going to the point where, um, a where Imbev bought Budweiser and created the AB Imbev. In 2011, I believe, AB had put in a hostile bid for Saab Miller. And as a defensive move, um, I can't remember the exact date, probably 2011, if I'm not mistaken, put in a hostile bid for Saab Miller. And Saab Miller, as a defensive move, bought Foster's. Didn't really care about CEB, but bought Foster's, the brand, for $11 billion, which put them out of the reach of AB InBev. That meant that AB InBev would take on way too much debt that they couldn't service to, to execute their hostile uh, takeover of Saab Miller. In response, AB went and finished the deal that was started by August IV, who was the CEO of Budweiser. So August Bush the fourth, yes. uh, so the great, great grandson of August Bush, who was the, uh, the German immigrant who started the Budweiser uh, company brand in America. Correct. And and anyone who's read the... I advise people to read a really great book called um, Dethroning the King, which tells the story of the InBev takeover of AB from the inside of the boardroom, where there was this hostile bid coming in from the Brazilians. Um, August IV was the, was the CEO, but August III was the chairman of the company, and the father hated his son. Um, the CEO went down to uh, Mexico to negotiate with Group Modelo to buy the 50% that was remaining out of Group Modelo and Corona, um, which would have put them over the edge where Imbev wouldn't be able, again, as, in a very similar move to what Saab Miller did with CUB. Um, and when he did close the deal, came back to the board to get it ratified, Augusta III used that as an opportunity to push the Brazilians to pay a bit extra, dumped that deal and sold the company off to spite his son. Um, which reminds me of Trump spiting Obama and uh, <laughs> shelving the Iran nuclear deal. Now we find ourselves in another shuttle. So um, coming back to beer, Saab Miller did exactly the same thing um, with CUB. They bought CUB as a defensive move against AB InBev. AB InBev went on to take over Group Modelo. And a few years later, they came back to the to the table after they built up their war chest of, of finances and bought Saab Miller, inheriting CUB. Now, CUB, the, 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 the weird, lonely child sitting in the corner that no one really wanted. Um, it really is. In terms of the, the AB InBev portfolio, or the, the, the family, it, it's the red-headed stepchild, isn't it? It's, it's, it's the kid that everyone keeps forgetting locked in the car. 
Um, and because if, if you go back to when um, the merger first came out, the first thing that um, anti-monopoly anti uh, authorities, both in the U.S. and in Europe, pointed out was AB now had a dominant position in way too many markets. And AB's first reaction was to say, right, we're dumping CUB, so Australia is not core for us. Um, so their stated intention was to sell off the CUB like the, as a Southeast Asian region exactly. brewery. It's not going to be part of our long-term plans, therefore it's not. Uh, we're not tripping the, the monopoly switch. Exactly. So we're not dominating 500 markets, we're dominating 499. And of course, the antitrust authorities said not, that's not going to be good enough. And they had to sell off Peroni, Pilsner, Urkel, and Grolsch. And what people don't realize is Asahi is now the biggest brewer in 10 East European countries. And with this acquisition, Asahi becomes the third biggest brewer behind AB InBev and Heineken with, a, with, with Saab Miller out of the picture now. Um, so Asahi, as much as it is Japanese, has become a global conglomerate. Um, and whether they had sold it to Asahi or not, the, the, I guess the surprise is they came to a deal with Asahi because it's been cooking in the background for a long time and it looked like it wasn't going to uh, come to any fruit because AB had declared their intention to list CUB as part of AB InBev Asia yeah. on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. So was that just a like a, a gambit? Was that just like a, a chess move? We're going to make you think this is what we're going to want to do, but we're actually just I don't know, trying to buff up the price? It's very difficult to understand what was going on because they were in negotiations with Asahi forever. And remember, they, when, the, when the antitrust, anti-competitive uh, commissions forced AB InBev to offload their portfolio, the, the people they offloaded their portfolio to were Asahi. And so this is just a continuation of wheeling and dealing between the two, right? Now, the internals of what happened, who did what, and why was this happening, it could be that they didn't come to an agreement, and so AB went to the market to try and... Um, some people say that AB found that the valuations they were going to get from the Asian uh, listing uh, were not high enough, so they went back to Asahi and shelved that idea. Who knows? It doesn't really matter. The point that, that's very important for people to understand is AB from day one never wanted CUB, had always wanted to exit CUB, get some money back to service their debt back home. Uh, and, and it's funny sometimes reading the threads. Ah, yeah, but they sold CUB, but the ZX is going to keep Pilot Life and Four Pines. And people forget how insignificant, not just Pilot Life and Four Pines, but any craft brewer is. The whole craft brewing uh, is for, for these guys. I mean, you know, you think about the company that has five, six, seven billion dollars worth of sales and you're talking about Pirate Life that has five million dollars or ten million dollars or, or fifty million dollars of sales. It doesn't even matter. It's completely irrelevant. Or Four Pines. They're irrelevant. Um, these big players have very, are very much focused on their core businesses and that's how they drive their, their business. They, they don't just get into anything just because it has a higher margin and it's more profitable. If it's not part of their code where they can see synergies and mass, it's a completely non-passionate, completely rational, completely uh, financial uh, judgment. So the boardroom doesn't see brands, they don't see labels, they don't see beers, they just see numbers. They just, they, I don't even think they know that Pirate Life and Four Pines exist. They see Australia as being a distraction away from their core and they get rid of the whole country. So is it 
uh, is it a foregone conclusion that yes, we can definitely say that four pines and four uh, and and pirate life are part of the deal? Oh, hundred percent. There, there's no, there's no indication. I mean, even the guys at CUB said yes, they're part of the deal. And if you look at who really owns Pirate Life and Four Pines, you can go through ten ASIC documents, which all lead to Saab Miller LLP. But five layers down, they're owned by CUB. They're not owned by ZX. So ZX is just the arm that does the, the investment decisions. It's a business arm of AB InBev. It's not some family of, of companies that they're building a portfolio of craft beer around the world. The, AB's attitude towards um, craft beer is it's a new rising thing, sure, but it's also a defensive move. They need to be in the market to defend their territory and defend uh, their, their market share. So just to clarify for our listeners, ZX is Pirate Life, Four Pines, Booze Bud, Rape Beer, and whatever else. Ten Battles, uh, Breckenage, uh, lots of other yep. breweries, so plus some wine so and some other stuff. And that's just, if we think of it as, that's one room in the house structure that is known as AB InBev. But it's, it's just one room without even being part of the structure. So it doesn't necessarily mean that ZX actually owns anything. It's just a business unit. It's, right. it's okay. as if um, Hawkers tomorrow decides to build a bar and Hawkers Venue Co. might not actually own the bar for tax purposes, might have some other structure. So the, 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 the direct ownership of these breweries is CUB. And that was the unit that was sold. Next point. What does it mean now that Asahi owns, SAB, uh, that owns CUB? What happens now? Uh, you go into your local pub in a year's time. What's different? Uh, it's, I think... Talk us through the tap selection. I walk, think, walk me to the bar and say, Pete, I want to buy you a beer. No, because so, you, you'd never do that. Um, let's think of a more <laughs> realistic situation that's going to happen. So you're going to buy me a beer. Uh, here's, here's our choice. Talk us through the taps. I think if you go back just slightly before we jump onto that, because I think what's relevant is if we look back at the rumors that have been spreading throughout um, the last year before this acquisition was purchased, was, was finalized, there was lots of talk of Asahi buying Green Beacon and Asahi buying Young Henry's and Asahi buying this and Asahi buying that. I think we were even part of that conversation at some point. Some people thought oh, they'd sell, and anyone who knows me knows we're not really for sale. Yeah, but what was the starting offer again? Uh, <laughs> I won't tell you. I've signed an NDA. No, um, no. But on a, on a serious note, I think there was a move by Asahi at some point and a reaction to to the fight between AB and and um, Lion. Asahi, after getting Peroni and expanding, spending a lot of money to expand their Leverton, it would have made sense for them to go out exploring buying craft breweries to add to their portfolio. Um, because at that point, it's just Mountain Goat. It's Mountain Goat. It's Crickter's Arms. Arms as, a, as their home brand. Yeah. But Mountain Goat's the only bricks and mortar Correct. asset that they a- And they got a lot of credit with how they left Richmond be the experimental hub. But what people don't realize is Goat Goat is the runaway success of last year. It's five million liters in its first year. I mean, it's, it's kind of a brand that no one looks at in the craft beer world. You never see it out there. And Who thought we could win people over with lager? With lager, exactly. But it's not called the lager. That's the no. funny part, right? I mean, 
Furphy is what, 20, 25 million liters now? It's, it's it completely nuts. These brands uh, have built a facade of craft, but the reality of mass beer pushing volume um, under them. Um, so Asahi, I think now that I think this trend will stop, this, this poking of trying to look at the acquiring, because now they've got one of the big craft beer brands in Victoria, one of the big craft beer brands in South Australia, and one of the big craft beer brands in New South Wales. The only two missing there, really, in terms of population size, are WA and Queensland. And I, I'm not sure that they really need them, or they do. I have no idea. I don't work for Asahi. I don't live in the Asahi world. What does that mean on the shelf? It, the problem comes back to the C now. The C are such a bunch of buffoons and monkeys. They're underfunded and they're idiots. They have no understanding of, of what the hell they're doing. And I think, to be fair to them, their hands are a bit tied with the fact that they, ha they cannot, lit they cannot um, uh, come up with regulations. They have to go litigate, which is a very expensive process. And with a limited budget, they really need to pick their fights, which then doubles down on their ineffectiveness. So the TAP, con the TAP contract debacle that the ACCC was involved in a couple of years ago is just going to come back to the surface because all of a sudden now, Asahi controls a shit ton of bars and their contracts and now actually has the ability to offer Mountain Goat at the MCG. If you think Pirate Life is an SA brand, well, we've got a local Victorian brand. They can offer beers on Virgin Australia, on Qantas, at Crown Casino, at all the top-selling venues in the country. And they have a basic stranglehold. And it's just going to become harder and harder for independent brewers that are going to continue to fight over the last two taps. This is... Tap contracts, I think, are one of the worst effects on where this market is heading. It's created a price competition within craft brewers, independent brewers, that's artificial because we all have one of two things uh, that we can use to capture that tap. Either we drop our pants or we come up with the next crazy wacky beer because very few beers will have permanent placement. And, and it's going to become exasperated with Asahi buying CUB. And so it, it, it cannot be good news for any of the craft brewers. This episode is brought to you by Unleashed Software. Unleashed is more than inventory management software for brewers. It's a system that runs your whole business operations and gives you an unfair brewing advantage. With Unleashed, you can create custom recipes, effortlessly track your cereal and batch numbers, and understand your stock levels at all times, at every location. Learn how Unleashed can help you run and grow your brewery at unleashedsoftware.com forward slash brew. So what's our response? What can we do? What can the Independent Brewers Association do? What can independent brewers do uh, to, I guess, protect their investment, to shore up their... Well, the problem is you, you need an IBA that's determined to tackle this topic. And that's why we at Hawkers are not part of the IBA, because we don't see this determination. We're not going to be part... We're not just going to be members in a club. Either the IBA is going to step forward and tackle this issue. The IBA needs to get vocal about this acquisition, needs to get vocal about TAP contracts,
they they went. I mean, every time they do, they take a step forward. They kind of it's an incomplete step as far as I'm concerned. So they came up with something brilliant, which was the independence seal to promote independence. Fantastic. But then they said only members of the IBA can have it as a as a seal. Well, are are we promoting membership in the IBA or are we promoting independence? The response to this mega merger is we promote independence. It's very important that the IBA becomes this fatherly body that might have kids who don't want to be part of the group, like the Brewers Association in the U.S., which has come up with an independent seal and given it out to the brewers. And now 75% of independent brewers, whether they are part of the BA or not part of the BA, are using this. Because that is the flag that we can move forward. And every year, every survey that Kraft Cartel and whoever else does says basically indicates that the consumer wants to know who is independent and who isn't. It's a subject that is important. They want to know that the money that they're giving goes to a local business that's hiring local people that actually pays bloody tax. CUB didn't pay tax for many years. So we need to come up with a mechanism where we can promote this independence and we need to come together and be able to properly fight off these things and, and lobby the government for, for better regulations. I mean, yay, we got a little excise win. So we moved up from 30,000 rebate to 100,000, which if you calculated over the 750 breweries, the government basically gave, threw chump change at us, somewhere between 10 and $20 million for 750 brewers. Well, we, on our own, over the last 18 months, paid $7 million in excise. So imagine there are 750 brewers. And if, if you think about it, that 100,000 is well short of the 350,000 that the wine guys get. And then we have an unequal alcohol tax. So what do we do against this? We fight for market access because I believe that independent brewers have a way more compelling story to tell to the consumer. They are producing beer of super high quality and which the consumer, given a, given a chance and given education, can, can uh, embrace. And I think we, we engage in educating the market, whether it is through an independence campaign or whether it is through educating people about different styles and, and, and uh, uh, exposing them to different styles of beer. Uh, and then we engage with the government and try and lobby for better regulations. Here's my challenge then to, to Mazen Hadja. There's been great change in the, uh, in the IBA, the Independent Brewers Association, uh, a new CEO to be announced or appointed shortly, hopefully. Is there now a chance that, okay, we've, we've, we've got our ducks in a row, we've got our house in order... Is there room for Mazen Hadja to throw his hat into the ring and put his money where his mouth is and say, these are the things I, I truly believe in, let me help with it? Well, I did. I mean, I was on the board of directors of the IBA. Um, the problem is we were always handcuffed with, with trying to be politically correct. Uh, and I'm, 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 a, I'm, I'm, I'm not 
claiming that we were, you know, uh, that we should start a revolution, but maybe we should be a bit more vocal and a bit more in encompassing. I mean, the IBA uh, is can always get back on that track. And the minute I feel that the IBA is on that track, of course I'll put my money where my mouth is. Um, I was a member of the IBA and I want to be a member of the IBA. And I will be a member of the IBA when the IBA represents my, my, what my aspirations and my hopes are, for sure. I don't want to be a member of the group just to be a member of the group. Then you're just a sheep in the herd, as far as I'm concerned. And again, this is my personal view there's lots of, I'm not dissing anyone, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say it, I'm right and people are, this is my own personal view and this is, I'm very much putting where my money where my mouth is. Starting tomorrow, we all wake up and, uh, you know, the, the ink's dry on the headlines, Asahi owns now a great chunk of the, the Australian beer market. What can we as individuals and as individual drinkers, as listeners to the podcast, as readers of uh, The Crafty Pint or Ale of a Time or uh, Brews News, what can they? What can we do to, I guess, set in stone or to or to validate the points that you've made? How, how can we how can we educate people on the beer landscape has changed? Here's where we think you should put your dollars. Well, first of all, I I don't want to tell anyone where to put their dollars. I I certainly that's not at all what I want to ever do. Um, what I think is is going to be interesting going forward is to see what our experience with how craft beer develops. There's a lot of people who talk about a glut in terms of how many brewers are out there and the market can't sustain everyone. The problem is this aggressiveness from the big multinationals and this incompetence from the ACCC means that we are unable to grow the market, to have more brewers, more market to share around. It's, it's very important that we have route to market. It's very important that when you produce beer, you're able to sell it to a bar. You're able to set, put it on the shelf. These decisions aren't being made by consumers. These decisions are being made by bar, bar owners and bottle shop owners who are under contract by the big guys. And I'm not, I'm not again, I'm not dissing the, the bar owners. It's, it's, a, it's a chicken and egg scenario. It's a catch-22. What comes first? Consumers demanding craft beer or people putting craft beer in front of them. Somehow we've got to break this mold. And to break this mold, we need to empower the consumer to understand what they're buying and to make the, that decision rush. Mazan, one last question before we finish up. Um, and I guess it's, you know, it's, it's run around the rumour mill yet again. Um, now, is Green Beacon still being sold? Is he still buying? Green Beacon, are they still <laughs> buying Young Henry's? What, what happens now? It, 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 do we see a period of flux? Do we see now everything settle down? Um, we've now got two very big, uh, both Japanese-owned breweries controlling 95% of the beer sold and drunk in this country. What happens next? I, I don't know. Um, I think we had a bit more uncertainty and a bit bigger push when Asahi was trying to wedge its way into the market because it, it was tiny. It, I think they had somewhere between 1% and 2% market share. Um, now that they've got CUB, AB InBev has basically flown the flag and left. Um, they pulled the French surrender for, for a bunch of Brazilians. Uh, it, it was quite unexpected. But they've left. And so now we've got two Japanese behemoths 
my suspicion, and this is purely speculation because I don't know, is that we're going to see Asahi focus on pulling the deal together. So they're expecting it to close in the first quarter of 2020. So we've got another um, nine months to go before the, 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 the ownership change. I mean, and then Asahi has challenges like, what do we do with Abbotsford, right? Because Abbotsford's underutilized. Um, it's a behemoth sitting in the middle of the city. Do they shut it down, move somewhere, and sell the real estate? What are they going to do with Cascade? It's, a, it's a, an antiquated uh, brew house, which replicates what they have in Laverton. And so all of these questions, I think, Asahi needs to work through. Um, my suspicion is Asahi, from their um, mode of operations is that they, they tend to be much more hands-on than, than Lion Nathan. Um, Lion um, currently leads the craft beer world, despite the four pines and the, and the, and the pirate life and the mountain goat and the cricketer's arms that, that uh, Asahi now own. Uh, Lion owns Furphy, Little Creatures, uh, um, James Squire. So in the craft... And, and they do have a, a far better record, I guess, of, of nurturing and looking after and growing those brands than, than say, Correct. CB has in the past with, with things like Matilda Bay. Correct. E even with Asahi. I mean, Asahi uh, left Richmond alone, but that's no indication of how they are going to run anything because they, I think they fundamentally lack an understanding of craft beer. Uh, they can acquire it. They have the team now. Um, they have the ability to do it, and it, it makes sense to do. I think if you look at where Lion is, Lion is kind of expanding their brands. They're putting up little creatures in the UK and Hong Kong and in Shanghai and, so, and San Francisco. And so they're, 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 they're kind of going outside. Um, it's, it's very difficult to see where this is going to go. Um, the, the one player that I would be keen to watch would be Cooper's. I'd like to see how Cooper's, which now Bruce Carlsberg and Bruce Cronenberg, uh, uh, I would be keen to see how they develop their strategy to come back at this because I, they, they may all of a sudden become an acquisition player. Um, I don't think that an acquisition target... A, ta a target for acquisition no, no, or a player who might buy up some smaller they brands? Could, they could wake up and, and realize that if we're going to look at craft beer... Um, they might want to acquire craft beer, right? I mean, it, it, they've always had this little wedge in the market, and I don't know what the reaction is going to be now that the wedge is shrinking and becoming more aggressive, especially in the craft beer world, because they, they don't have the credential. They have the credentials of independence, but they don't have the credentials of playing in the, in the craft beer world. So I, I don't know. It's, it's very difficult to see anything happening uh, there's no clear path. It was there was a lot of speculation before. It's much easier to now just go. Okay, I think Asahi is going to try and put this uh, house of cards in order, and Lion is just doing their thing. That's my uneducated guess. <laughs> now, well, look, your um, I guess your take on on all matters business um, is one thing where I certainly tip my hat to you, and that's why I wanted to, to come and get your opinion um, and your predictions as to, as to what might happen. Um, to finish up, and to thank you for your time, uh, good or bad, like are we, uh, are we heading for sunny days ahead? Is it a good time for independent beer now? Because there's, uh, I guess, more focus on who's who in the zoo and who is, is really independent, uh, and does it bring into sharp focus the fact that the one thing that the bigger breweries can't replicate is that genuine backstory? Uh, or are we all fucked? It's, uh, look, it's, it's, a, it's certainly a crossroads. I think from here on in, 
If we, the independents, can play the game of educating people about true independence and flying the flag properly, rather than hiding behind our little clubs and trying to play petty politics, it's not a zero-sum game. This piece of cake isn't split amongst players, and then if you get a bigger piece, someone else gets a smaller piece. We really need to focus on growing the pie. It's enough. We've, we've lagged the American market, although we're as old as the American market. And the reason we've lagged is the Americans have had the ability to educate the consumer on true independence. Places like Oregon have 50% market share for independent craft beer. There's no reason why we should be stuck at five. It's, it's pathetic. We need to come together and push through the message of independence, push through the message of diversity, in, in, embrace diversity in, the, in, in craft beer, bring women on board, bring ethnic minorities, bring LGBT community, bring everybody on board, celebrate our diversity, in, reach out to everybody. If we are able to push that message and educate about independence, then we, are, we will definitely grow our audience and there's more to share. Also, we need to take a firm stand against these, these, this violation of fair market competition. Not just that contract, but also distribution uh, lockups in, in big chains and things like that. We need to get our beer on the shelf. It doesn't matter if you're fucking Van Gogh and no one sees your paintings. You're going to die a miserable shit. You, you, it's very important that we get ourselves in front of our audience and we have a unified message, at least on those two fundamental things. Mazen Hajar from Hawker's Beer, thank you for your very forthright and uh, enlightening opinions. And uh, let's go and have a beer and uh, toast the future of independence. Hell yeah. Don't forget, if you like what we do here at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You'll find details in the show notes. You can also review us on iTunes or whatever your favourite podcasting service happens to be. Let us know what you think and help others find and discover our shows. Finally, you can tell us what you think about what's going on in the beer industry by emailing us at producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive in return, as by way of thanks, a Brews News bottle opener. And thanks to our very good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of great Australian beer. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because, as you may have heard, beer is a conversation. Beer.